And now for the major announcement. Da, 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 da. Oh, Marcus, for years, listeners have been urging with us, pleading with us, begging us to run wellness and couch events in their own hometown and not just in Melbourne. Well, get ready, folks, because in 2018, there's not one, not two, but three major events coming your way. The Wellness Base Camp is our brand new one-day event featuring your favourite Wellness Couch podcasters in your very own home state. In 2018, we are coming to Brisbane, Adelaide and Kiama, just south of Sydney, for one inspirational day of health and wellness. Oh, incredible lineups to MP. We've got the Up for Chatters, we've got Joe Witten, we've got Fuad, we've got Kale Brock, Audra Starkey, the incredible Marcus Pierce, Brett Hill and so many more. Now seats are strictly limited to these events. The Wellness Base Camp is not a big Wellness Summit 1,000 people job, so do not muck around. No, you've got to get in quick, MP. The Early Bird 2 for 1 tickets are now available. Best Christmas present ever. To book your tickets and for all the information, head to thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hello there, wonderful listeners. Thanks for joining us again on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And it's lovely to have you back again. Today uh, we are going to tackle a tricky little question and it's a funny one because uh, we've had this come through on our social media and emails as well. Everyone wants us to talk about gut stuff. It's just so trending right now. and uh, such a hot topic. It is indeed and in particular parasites. So we're certainly going to tackle this uh, this tricky little topic today. <laughs> but before we do that, we're going to go again into our special little uh, segue that we did last week as well. And it's going to be a regular segment, which is answering your questions. So when you send them through to us, uh, sometimes we don't have uh, lots of time to dive into big long emails. So we thought the best way we can give you uh, sort of a direct response is to actually record a little conversation for you. So this week we are going to answer a question by the lovely Grace. She sent us an email and she wanted to know what the best condoms are to use that are sort of low toxin, low toxic, safe considered, you know, because they're irritating uh, for people who are trying to reduce their toxic load and, of course, with their hormonal health, trying to reduce uh, anything that could be affecting their fertility and health and well-being. Um, they want to know what's the best option. So we're going to start today's In the Spotlight segment by answering this question. So what are the best condoms out there? What do you reckon, Andrea? What uh, what do you suggest that we be looking at for the best choices online purchasing? Usually is the quickest way to get them, isn't it? Uh, yes, certainly. So when you think in condoms, you can either go either latex, which is the most common, or there's also non-latex varieties as well that are not a lot of people are actually fully aware of. Now, I absolutely love the fact that someone's actually asked about condoms. I think that's amazing. Um, absolutely safe, uh, fantastic barrier method cheap and effective and very protective against most STIs as well. Um, just off the top of my head, there's a couple of companies that you might want to look into. One is called Hero Condoms. Um, now, the packaging and everything that they use is all um, fair trade and vegan friendly and all of those sorts of things. Um, the actual latex is still, you know, still 
rubber latex. So that's something to think about. Um, and they each of them are lubricated and it's lubricated with a non-spermicide uh, type product. Um, but you'd want to look into more as to what the actual lubricant is that they're using on there. Um, and then there's also um, the Glide condoms. Now, these are chemical-free, they're ethical, vegan, and fair trade. Oh, so um, let's and- just dive into that for a sec because vegan, okay. people are going, what the heck, what, what, my condoms aren't vegan. I mean, what are you talking about? Why are you talking about vegan condoms? Um, and I, I remember laughing when I found this out because I was like, well, hang on, aren't they? Because, like, aren't they just latex and stuff? But a lot of people don't realise that um, most of the major brands of condoms are actually used using a milk protein to make some of their, their condom products. So technically they're not even vegan. They're they're using these um yeah, milk proteins and that's you know, casein can be a problem for some people. Um obviously it can be an irritant mm. if you've got sensitivity to any sort of milk proteins. Um, not to mention the harmful chemicals a lot of those brands use, um, particularly something called N9, and that's the spermicide. And there's actually studies linking it to high rates of STD transmission, and that's simply because they can create vaginal legions. Now, I don't know why this stuff's still being used. It is because there's not enough uh, hardcore evidence to kick it out of the market. They've been approved. But um, I think it's a really serious uh, issue when when companies are using things like parabens to make their products because we're putting these in an area of our body that is in particularly susceptible to being able to absorb chemicals, toxins, and things like that. So, um, yeah, ladies – vegan condoms you actually gotta look for them now (laughs) i know isn't that amazing um Mm. but also when we're being conscious consumers of all products and this is actually something to think about and there's certainly things um like fair trade condoms so check out the sustain brand um there's organically flavored condoms as well and again this comes from glide uh so definitely have a look at that and uh figure out what suits you now for those of you who want to stay away from latex there are definitely non-latex varieties and um, I remember when uh, I was doing some of my postgrad study and we were looking at different contraceptive choices for women, the non-latex variety for women are actually better at conducting heat. Um, so these might actually be more, um, I guess, more sensitive and more pleasurable for women, but they do have a slightly different um, like crinkly kind of noise to them. So don't let that alarm you. But there you go. And one more brand to throw in there, which is actually not just good for you, but uh, they're doing some great work in Africa and other communities to help reduce the risk of AIDS and STDs and HIV, which is super, super, you know, noble quest. Um, But the brand L. Dot, their slogan is World Changing Sex. (laughs) And I think they're doing that too. And the great thing is they're using no nasties. They're free of parabens, glycerin, and lots of other nasty stuff you'll find in uh, commercial condoms. So, That should hopefully give you a little point in the right direction, ladies. Um, Safe sex and safe condoms. Great, uh, great question, Grace. Thanks for that. Oh, I agree. And uh, most of those things you'll be able to find online. And then I want to, um, while we're kind of talking sort of on this topic, uh, kind of a slight segue, I guess, um, there's a question that's come through from Lucy in Port Lincoln. And her uh, message is, hey, girls, I love listening to your podcast. I know you have talked about contraceptive methods before, but I was wondering if you'd be able to share your thoughts on the first certified contraception app called Natural Cycles. Many thanks, Lucy. Um, Lucy, I love this question. We have had all sorts of different varieties of this question about the Natural Cycles app come in since its inception because it has very, very clever marketing. Um, 
And I've had all sorts of questions from patients about this as well. Now, this is an app that essentially looks at simply your basal body temperature. Now, this is not new science by any stretch of the imagination. Um, this is something that we've been looking at for, you know, oh, decades, probably longer than that, really. And it was developed by a European physicist. Um, and like I said, it simply uses your basal body temperature to chart. Um, I am very, very supportive of charting your cycle using natural fertility methods and natural contraceptive methods. But just remember, an app can never tell you when you're actually ovulating. So charting your signs and symptoms like your cervical mucus changes um, or adding that sort of information into the app is going to be much more useful and more specific to you. So please don't rely on the app telling you when you're fertile or telling you when you're in that safe zone. You need to be able to interpret those symptoms and those signs for yourself before relying on that information from technology. Um, so that is just my caveat on that. Yeah, absolutely. And then look, there's a lot of good apps out there. So have a look for the ones that are going to work for you. I mean, some of them are just not user-friendly. It's hard to know what you like. I, I don't know about you guys listening, but I know certainly some things I really love and because they're, you know, maybe colorful and catchy and I'm very uh, visual and other people find that super, super irritating. They just want really clean, easy framed kind of apps. So you just have to sort of look through things and decide whether that's a style you like because something you like, you're more likely to use. And that's why people say, what do you use? I'm like, well, I'll probably just use anything that's colourful. But to be fair, people laugh. Pen and paper. <laughs> you know Pen what, and paper. Yep. I make my patients bring in the period charts that I give them yeah. to mark on. Just um, pen and paper. You, you, it's there. You can yeah. stick it on your wall. You don't have to remember to feel like fill in an app or something or you have you know didn't save something or I don't know. Just pen and paper is so visual. If you miss a day, it's in your face and you go, oh, crap, you know, and you try and get back on track again. Um, I just don't like being on my phone all day, every day. So anything that takes me away from the digital media is quite helpful. So, yeah, pen and paper, ladies, I recommended, you know, a period diary, so to speak. Yes, I love it. That's great. Perfect. Um, so, Lucy, thanks so much for your question. And, ladies, we really encourage you to send us through your questions um, and we'll totally give you a shout-out on the on the podcast as well. We've got hundreds and hundreds to get through um, and we'll try and respond to you personally as well. All right, um, all right. Let's dive into this. We've got to get into today's topic. We have without got, further ado. Without further <laughs> ado, we have got to get into this. We are going to talk today about parasites, okay, and gastrointestinal parasites is something that are coming up more and more in people's um, awareness, I think because of the fact that the whole idea around gut health and the microbiome is really gaining some traction and people starting to realize that uh, looking after your gut is not just about, you know, not having tummy pains and bloating and gas. It's about how it affects your entire system and your entire function and how you feel, how your brain works, how your hormones, you know, balance. Uh, there's a really systemic impact to gut dysbiosis. And that can include the parasites that can be either endemic in the sense that they're an environmental thing that's with us all the time um, and others that we've picked up along the way, they're uh, exactly what they say, a parasite. So they're actually taking from the host. They're taking from us. So they're robbing us of something, whether it be nutrients or whether it be our health because it's creating an impact. And one of the most common effects of um chronic parasitic infections is generally something along the lines of an irritable bowel type symptom. Mm -hmm. And it's a really common symptom for people to have. And it's one of the most common presentations and reasons people to go to their 
their GPs with gut problems. And that's the problem. They always say, oh, you know, alternating diarrhea and constipation problems or just really loose bowel and loose stools frequently. Um, so if that sounds like you, if you've been having gut issues and, you know, you've been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, um, you really need to have a, a think about whether or not parasites is something you need to look into further if you haven't yet. And we'll explain to you more about that now. Um, I think it's funny, whenever you talk to particularly parents about parasites, they will tell you all sorts of hilarious stories about um, checking their kids for parasites in the middle of the night with a torch yeah. and, um, you know. The, the bum check. Really, yeah, yeah the, yeah, the butt check on, on those poor little kids. I'm sure they would be traumatized having nightmares about, I thought there was someone that came in with a torch in the middle of the night. Anyway, when we think of parasites, we typically think about things like roundworms and tapeworms and, um, you know, all of those sorts of horrible things that we might have seen on say Grey's Anatomy um, and it doesn't you can have parasites without having the really overt symptoms like the really itchy butt <laughs> you know I think that that's what a lot of us um, think of when we think parasites and I remember traveling in third world countries seeing little kids squat on the side of the road to empty their bowels and you literally just see worms coming out of them or parasites coming out of them like it was spaghetti um, and you know, that is just part of their reality and it's a pretty crazy thing to see, but in some ways, some parasites in certain countries are actually protective of other things as well. So this is all relative to where you are and what you're exposed to naturally. And the jury really is still out on the type of parasite that you may be, you know, exposed to and what you actually need to do about that, if anything. Um, so that's what we're going to try and get into a little bit today to sort of give you a bit of a different perspective on parasites as well and a few different things to think about. Let's have a look about some of the um, classic sort of symptoms or symptomology that people might mm -hmm. present with because I think if you um, understand some of those symptoms, you may be able to connect the dots for yourself and then be able to take the next step. We'll be asked for appropriate testing, which we'll talk about as well. Um, I think one of the key things is to anytime you've got unexplained symptoms like constipation, diarrhea, gas, bloat, um, symptoms, you know, diagnostically commonly diagnosed as IBS, it's really important to explore this concept of whether or not there could be a parasite issue. Um, mm. It's tricky because parasites in some one person may not have the same impact on the system as a parasite in another person, even though they're both tested with the same thing. So, you know, you've got to look at the symptom package and decide whether or not that's an issue for you. Other things sounds funny, but um, falling asleep or, or waking up multiple times in a night can be an indicator of parasite issues as well. Um, skin infections, it, you, to learn more as well, um, Dr. Amy Myers has got some great work on this. She's a functional medicine doctor. So she's, you know, she's got a lot of resources there as well, which I'm happy to, you know, you guys to have a little look up and, and go there as well um, because we're hopefully going to link you to some resources today just so you can explore this further. Um, bruxism, grinding your teeth at night is another thing that uh, they've linked as well. And common things like not feeling full or never feeling quite satisfied with meals. It's like literally the parasites are taking up your food space there. And Things like iron deficiency, anemia is another one that comes up frequently in women um, and to relate to sort of the leaky gut, gut issue, deficiency signs. So if you're constantly treating iron deficiency anemia and it's just not restoring your iron stores, you've got to ask the question why you're not generating 
and yeah, big time. Yeah, and um, that, that's a parasitic issue that we could explore there as well. So you know, these are some of those things. If you've ever travelled overseas into what we categorically call like third world countries or developing nations, um, there's a very good chance you've picked up something. I mean, us Aussies being to Bali, Thailand, any of the Southeast Asian countries, South America, um, and of course Africa as well, we are so much more likely to be exposed to parasites through things like street food, street vendors, contaminated mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables, um, undercooked meat that we didn't even know because it's in you know, a big stir fry or some sort. Um, so, you know, the parasites are carried through eggs. So anything that's touched um, through hygienic or poor hygiene standards really could be a source of contamination. So very mm-hmm. hard to rule out because chances are we've all been exposed to it somehow, some way um, along our lifetime. And also very hard to avoid as well. Like when you're traveling, you don't want to go there with a fear of, um, you know, catching parasites and really restricting your immersion into the experience that you're having just by, you know, overthinking these sorts of things. Mm, Um, So don't get anxious and don't don't start, you know, cancelling holidays over this because it's not like every person that goes there is going to get parasites that are going to cause major health consequences. Um, It's not like that at all. Like we said, some people can carry these parasites quite safely in a way that doesn't impact their overall health and well-being. And unfortunately, other people, it does impact and do we know how to decide who is going to be more susceptible or not? Mm. We actually don't. And we were saying about, you know, as Andrew said, depending on which country you're from, your natural microbiome, the exposure you had as a child, there's so many different ways in which you have developed a natural immune response. Yeah. Can I put that into context a little bit? So, um, you know, of course I talk about my trips to India all the time. Um, and I know that my gut was definitely not the same after coming back from India, but over there I was by no means, um, taking precautions. Like I didn't necessarily drink the water, but I would, was certainly eating, um, you know, as, as much as I could. Um, and I was brushing my teeth with the water and we were uh, like, it was a mission trip. So we had our hands all over people, um, and kids and all sorts of things. Um, and I, I, I came back with Blastocystis hominis, which is a very common parasite to pick up, particularly um, from India. And interestingly enough, if you are living in India, that would be considered almost like a commensal bug for your gut because what they're actually looking at is whether or not that is actually protective of, against some of the other more serious infections that you could have so for me it's something that i will you know at some stage need to deal with that i haven't uh, haven't done yet but i'll get there um because that is not part of my commensal you know microbiota makeup here in australia but if i was living in um say india i would be fine with that and also remember when we're looking at say the bristol stool chart or how many bowel movements you have each day and they say you should have at least one after every meal that is based on an indian population that have a completely different microbiota to what we actually do so just keep that in mind and keep that in perspective when we're talking about things like parasites as well and they're not always nasty. Um, there's amazing sort of science and treatments and research that are coming out where there's actually some Crohn's treatments where they're using the introduction of particular parasite um, worms called helminths. And it's fascinating because they're introducing them into the GI- gastrointestinal tract and it's been shown to reduce some symptoms. So they're mm-hmm. not always bad guys. Um, but it's just important to know if they are causing you problems, your gut problems, then you need to know kind of how to identify them and then what sort of options you may have to help them. 
And what I would say is if you have any of the symptoms that's listed there and you've like sort of ruled out any other potential source. So, for example, if you've been through an elimination diet, um, if you've ruled out any kind of inflammatory markers um, and any other sources of infection and you don't seem to be getting to the bottom of it, then taking that step further and looking into whether or not you could have an underlying parasitic infection is a really great idea. Cool. So some of the most common ones that um, have been shown to come up in Australia in our testing, which we'll explain to you why labs are testing for these, are the blastocystis hominis and diantamoeba fragilis. So Mm -hmm. you'll hear these things thrown around. A lot of doctors are not testing for them because they're not considered necessarily problems. Um, However, more recent research is coming out to suggest that they are connected to clinical symptoms associated with IBS. um, And therefore, it's not about idea to be uh, testing patients who are considered IBS uh, patients. So if you, yeah, yeah. It, the misdiagnosis rate's quite high and it's been shown that this these tests are relevant to discover whether or not that imbalance in that gastrointestinal balance is one of the underlying causes of uh, problems. Yeah, there was a study that's just come out um, literally on the 14th of November this year looking at whether or not they were looking at blastocystis in particular and whether or not that there was a relationship between irritable bowel syndrome and they absolutely found that there was a relationship, whether or not it was a cause of or a consequence um, is is hard to say, but that there was mm. a correlation. There was seventy two um, percent of people who had blastocystis hominis were also positive for um, IBS symptoms. Yeah, and it's tricky. I mean, there's three major studies that have come out lately. Uh, London School of Medicine, 38% IBS patients infected with blastocystis hominis. Um, mm-hmm. Another one came out of Pakistan at the uh, Aga Khan University, 48% there, and Institute of Disease Public Health from the University of Ancona in Italy, and they were 18%. So quite varied percentages there, but clearly yeah. that means some proportion um, at what, at worst, 20% and at greatest, 50% of people are suffering with this issue. And I often see uh, patients test results with actually both of those infections, so mm. not just blastocystis hominis, but in relation to also diatomoeba fragilis as well. So, you know, that's just kind of a bit of a double whammy there. Maybe they really like each other and they like to hang out together. Yeah, maybe the same underlying, you know, gut issues leave our body as a susceptible host to these. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Good question. I mean, it's a developing, it's a developing, this area is really developing science, ladies. This is just something that is becoming so uh, important. They're studying it further. The reason is because these things tend to have, you know, their own special little coating, which uh, hides them away from most common fecal tests. Um, which is which is the biofilm that you're referring to. Yep. Yes. And so they, they hide there in the wall of the gut and uh, pretend they don't exist to the, the immune system, but they're, they're, you know, they're protecting themselves from our, all of our natural defense systems, which is very clever. I mean, <laughs> that's why they call it a parasite. But uh, at the same time, if they are a Problem. We've also got to work out how to to break down this biofilm and and remove some of these parasites that are causing issues. And that is where they're getting interesting uh, sort of medical research, trying to work out how to break this biofilm safely without destroying all of the gut microflora. Mm, exactly. Um, because you can't just wipe out one thing. If you're going to go hardcore and, and eliminate a biofilm, you're probably going <laughs> to eliminate the majority of the gut flora as well. And they don't want we don't want to do that. It's there for a reason. We need these bugs to be there to help us with our health as well. And I think this is where we're starting to see or we've experienced a big shift in the last couple of years once we're understanding the microbiota a little bit more in detail 
who have moved away from, you know, the kind of uh, natural health wisdom of if there's parasites there, let's kill everything. And that was that similar wisdom also to you need to eradicate, say, um, candida. Um, if you've got a candida infection, you need absolutely eradicate it. Whereas we know that, you know, candida albicans is a very normal part of our commensal microbiota as well. So um, the the knowledge around this is really, really changing. And originally we were like, okay, throw everything at it, um, you know, in terms of herbals and antiparasitics and really, really um, go and just kill anything that you can with very, very potent um, herbal remedies or um, pharmaceuticals as well. But the challenge is that that can, that methodology can cause more symptoms because then you're left trying to clean up the the kind of mess of what you've eradicated or you go through this process, you kill everything off and it's not effective because either you're not getting the biofilm or you're not doing it for long enough so that you're not getting the eggs and blah, blah, blah. So um, that's why this wisdom around how you approach parasites is really shifting. Mm, and it's fascinating too because um, – the reason we're not coming out today with some, you know, diagnostic treatment protocol is because there is no one size fits all for these particular complex gut issues. Um, there are certainly some tried and tested methodologies, mm-hmm. but, you know, where we don't live in a world of black and white when it comes to this kind of issue, it's not like this here and this is how you do it. Because of our bio-unique nature, each one of us has our own internal environment required for our own individual health. And they're still trying to discover the balances that are required for human health in general. So what you need and what I need, for example, Andrea, we're going to be different. We come from different parts of the world. We have different biology, different backgrounds. So there's just so much information out there on the net. And I just want to tackle one little thing that came into practice that um, one of my patients asked me, which was understandable because I mean, thanks to social media, you get one, you know, parasite cleanse and it just like sweeps through the internet and everyone has to do it and everyone has to try it. And it was this really hardcore fasting protocol. And for all purposes, there's no reason why it should work. (laughs) It's just a, a really intense sort of detoxification, but there was no science to suggest why that sort of hardcore cleanse protocol was actually going to do the job of removing parasites because it really it, is just nutritional starvation it is, is but is it ignores the yeah. ignores the complex nature of these biofilms and all the other things parasites know how to survive <laughs> <laughs> we can try and starve them out, but they know how to survive. Yeah. So I think the better method is to test and work on a, a more sort of uh, personalized plan of action because, I mean, no one likes going to the toilet eight, ten times a day. There's nothing fun about that, but there is no one-size-fits-all here. So I think, you know, if that's you and you're really frustrated with it, um, it's definitely better to work one-on-one with a practitioner on this sort of stuff. Yeah, and also because different parasites will respond to different things. So, mm. um, you know, if we're going to try a herbal, say, remedy to try and rebalance things, you need to actually know what you're dealing with in the first place so that you can appropriately match the treatment protocol to that specific bug um, because there definitely is not one size fits all. Um, even though, you know, lots of practitioners might use things like black walnut or Chinese wormwood um, and then there's a lot of um, – oh, 
lots of different oils and lots of different companies, I won't name names, that are saying, you know, take this oregano oil or oregano oil or the clove oil and, you know, put this in capsules and take it. And it's like you need to be really careful with this stuff um, because we use it as an antiparasitic for a reason because it kills stuff. So use with caution. Yeah, and the problem as well, if you're not under sort of a clinical protocol, is that if you just go and sort of dump in all of these um, natural, what you would consider safe herbs, they can create a very large and fast rapid die-off of parasites. Mm -hmm. And that die-off, as the parasites break down, there's an exotoxic release, which can literally poison your system and make you really, really sick. So it's not, I mean, I know from firsthand experience, so I think I've relayed this story back, you know, in another episode. But I just, um, when I was living over in the Netherlands, I'd been in Thailand for a period of time there, you know, hanging out, doing some Muay Thai camps, eating a lot of raw vegan stuff. And Did you do Muay Thai camps? <laughs> yeah. I imagine I was, you doing uh, that. I was badass. No, my shins were so badly bruised. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, wow. yeah, it was just like. Yeah, I, was, definitely, I definitely do not. um it doesn't surprise me that you're a total badass, but yeah, I, yeah, I can't see you doing much. Yeah, good for you. Okay, yeah. But on the flip of that, I came home fully fit, but uh, I also picked up a parasite infection. Now, how did I know? I wasn't well. I was having headaches every morning, um, you know, clear sort of toxic signs. And randomly of all things, I actually had like literally a physical parasite that I could see moving around under the skin of my foot, which is just... Yeah, your little friend in your yeah, foot. Yeah, my friend in my foot story. So, um, yeah, but I... I did this. I took the advice of um, uh, a naturopathic friend without specific consultation. We just had a chat about, oh, that sounds great. I'll do that. This is before my knowledge was expanded the way it is now. But hey, we'll try these things when we're learning. And uh, threw in all that stuff that we just talked about, a bit of uh, the, uh, I think there was black coat, wormwood. There was a pile of things there and thought, yeah, I'll just take it. And me being me, being A-type personality, more is is better and uh, definitely overdose it. I was sick, so sick that I almost thought I might take myself to the hospital because I was vomiting and diarrhea. Both ends were going at the same time. It was horrendous. So, ladies, highly recommend. It was day off in a very major way. So this is why, you know, this is just a story. This is just my experience. But whether or not it actually um, eliminated me of those parasites that I picked up all those years ago, I have no idea. I need to retest. It's probably not a bad time in my life to do so again. Um, but the great thing is my overall health and well-being and physiology at this stage in my life is showing that, uh, you know, I don't have deficiency signs and there's other reasons to suggest that uh, that particular parasitic uh, issue may not be such an issue. They may still be there, but they're living generally in balance with my my biology um ash that would be really interesting to Mm. to do a test with you and to see what comes up so let's Um, talk about tests then people are no doubt listening thinking you go okay okay, guys what are these tests you're talking about what are these tests i want to know what tests to do so what tests are we going to do there's a couple of different ones um because they test for different things what's your gold standard andrea what do you generally recommend De- look, depends on the person, depends on mm. symptomatology, um, and also it, it can be a financial decision as well. Um, yes. In Australia, through your GP, you can just do a, a stool sample test, which will test for a few parasites. Um, it's not 
completely inclusive. I cannot tell you how sensitive it is. It does use the PCR methodology. Um, and that has is certainly an effective pre and post test for certain things. Um, if we want to dive really deep and look at, you know, maybe some things that are a little bit rarer, we can do like a comprehensive um, digestive stool analysis, or we can do like bioscreen testing, um, looking at the whole, you know, microbiota makeup and seeing what comes up in that sense. Um, but it depends on the person. Okay. So where would you go to get these tests done? Uh, you definitely need to be working with your functional practitioner. You can do the basic test that I said, just the stool analysis um, that still uses the PCR testing which or the polymerase um, chain reaction, which looks at the – it's identifying the DNA of the parasite um, if there is one present. So you can do that through your GP um, or through just, you know, your regular conventional doctor. Um, they may or may not want to do it though. So, you know, you need to be working with someone who's happy to test you for these things or you need to be working with a functional practitioner who has experience with gut health, um, who also knows and understands how to support the system to then address parasites if they do come up in the first place and also how to use the best well-researched you know, herbal protocol or antiparasitics according to the specific strains that show up for you um, is definitely the way that that I would recommend. I know if you talk to Damien Christoph, he also always talks about loving your parasites to death or loving your bugs to death. Um, so I know that what uh, that sort of thinking or theory around that is, is if you support your microbiota well enough and if you've got enough balance there that generally the body can take care of these things itself. Hmm, absolutely. So look, and just remember too, there's a lot of controversy surrounding positive tests. Um, yes. You you know, get a positive test for defragilis or blastocystis. A lot of people are told they're not sick, there's nothing wrong and it can't be treated. Um, this is not necessarily the case. If you want to dive a little bit deeper on this, there's a great book out by um, Professor Karen Phelps. It's called The Mystery Gut. And she's done some really, you know, extensive research in this area. Um, I mean, as she explained, that we, we've known about um, diantamoeba fragilis for over 100 years and it's from people all the way through from children through to elderly um, and it's even more common than parasites such as Giardia or Cryptosporidium. So it's a very common one but there's so many unanswered questions about it. So I think mm -hmm. if you're plagued by these unexplained IBS symptoms, if you're getting bloating and diarrhea um, and that your doctor has ruled out things like inflammatory bowel disease or bowel cancer, then definitely talk about this um, stool PCR testing and that's just another way to have a look at whether or not you should be going on treatment pro protocol because sometimes there are therapy methods and methodologies that will include sort of antibiotics and probiotics to help try and re rebalance this issue. Um, so, look, I think if your doctor's not going to order a test, then you need to find out one who will because diving for answers is such an important thing here and it's an evolving area of the medical community research. So we shouldn't exclude it just because there's not enough, so I guess, gold standard research right now. Who knows, five years from now, we could be laughing going, oh, my God, you know, we were so behind the times then and we were missing all this stuff. But given that there's some really interesting articles published in the Medical Journal of Australia talking about these new PCR tests and the importance of them in regards to parasite um, assessment, it's probably not a bad idea to start looking at this stuff now. 
Yep, absolutely. Oh, I completely agree, Ash. It's so interesting. And uh, just as just a last little final thought on this, if you are going to do an antiparasitic protocol, um, just make sure you've got a system that is strong enough, um, that has good detoxification capacity to actually get rid of this in the first place, um, because you don't want to be trying to essentially kill off or rebalance something in a system that can't actually get rid of it. Mm. Um, so sometimes there is a process of building and strengthening the system first, making sure you've got that good detox capacity before actually addressing, you know, the parasite. So it can be a bit of a process to get there in the first place. All right, ladies, love your guts. Go and uh, go and look after yourself. Eat good food, live a good lifestyle, and uh, test further if you need to. Yep, I love it. Okay, so we want to hear about your parasites. Um, have you been diagnosed with something weird and wonderful? And if so, would you be willing to share it with us? We would love to hear from you. So find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Women. Um, make sure you're following us on Instagram as well. I put some super cute photos of Tiaki out there today. <laughs> um, so um, please go and uh, like that and tell me how cute he is. I will uh, just love you for that. Um, make sure you've subscribed to us on iTunes so you can get every new episode um, downloaded for free each week and ladies until next week be well this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com check us out on facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash the wellness couch subscribe to each show on itunes and check us out on twitter the wellness couch streaming wellness into your lives Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.